0: Well, I've talked to you before about the fact that I often uh, like to be alone, uh, that introvert nature of me, as I know many of you uh, can also relate to. That started for me at an early age, and I remember it was uh, the first day of school in grade one. I was six years old, and I was needing to ride the bus because we lived out of town a couple of miles, and my mom wanted to come with me, and I wouldn't let her because I wanted to do this by myself. And I had an older brother who got on the bus with me, and we got onto the bus, and I went to my grade one class, and I sat there, and I looked around the room, and I noticed that every other kid had their mom with them, except me. And suddenly, I didn't think this was such a good idea. And I felt very alone. And it's like, okay, mom, you could have come. One of the things that I've also learned uh, in leadership, and I think for anybody who's been involved in leadership, you've probably heard this adage, and maybe have felt it more intimately than others, but I I heard early on that leadership is lonely. And I found that at times to be true. Uh, There is some truth to that. Sometimes in leadership, you don't have issues that you can talk about with a lot of people. Uh, People don't really understand your world. Oftentimes, the higher up you get in leadership, you have less and less people actually holding you accountable, it sometimes uh, feels like, and the issues get more complex, And so it is true. Sometimes it can be lonely. But it's not just in leadership. I think it's something that probably for many of you, you can identify to that. Sometimes just life is lonely. Maybe you're just sort of walking along trying to live out your faith and and be engaged in life as much as you can, and it just feels lonely at times. The other thing that I have found to be true is that sometimes it's because of the choices that we make that put us into context and places of loneliness. I know that's true for me. I do that at times. And sometimes we isolate ourselves and we don't exactly engage in community in a certain way. And then we lament about the loneliness that we are experiencing. We're in this series, and today is actually drawing to the end uh, our series in Ephesians, which is about the church, and it's about community. And for me, what's been interesting is as I've talked to people in our church, uh, people who I sense have really found their way into community, really have engaged and maybe they're relatively new to the church and they've connected well. And as I talk with them and unpack that a little bit, I usually find a typical pattern. They are people who have often made choices. They've said, you know what, we're here to engage. And so they have initiated, they've reached out, they have started to serve. They don't sit back. They take the initiative and they try to be community for other people. And in doing that, they find community themselves. They don't play the victim card. They don't uh, kind of lament things. They just sort of go for it. And as I said, I think sometimes that's true for people in leadership as well too. Sometimes uh, those of us in leadership can play the victim card and go, oh my goodness, yeah, it's, it's so lonely in leadership. And yet we isolate ourselves and make some choices at times where we don't reach out. We kind of withdraw and then we feel alone. I think one of Satan's greatest ploys is to make us feel alone. I think one of Satan's and the enemy's greatest uh, ways of getting into our lives and discouraging us is to actually make us feel like nobody else understands what we're going through. Nobody else gets my world. Nobody else understands the issues that I'm facing. And so we isolate, we feel alone, and then we aren't involved in community. So today we... As I said, we're concluding this series in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want you to turn there and we're going to reflect on this idea of community and the call to stand that Paul says in this wonderful passage that many of you know uh, so well, this passage that is about the armor of God, and it's about standing, standing against the enemy's schemes, standing together in community, standing ready for battle, standing ready to live out the Christian faith, of all the things that Paul's been talking about prior to this. But here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to understand today. Is that even in this call to stand, you you need to know that you're never called to stand alone. That's the beauty of this text. That's the beauty of the church. That's what the church was called to be, is a community where you never have to stand alone, that you actually live this Christian faith, you fight these battles that Paul's talking about here, and you stand against the enemy's schemes, but you don't do it alone. We're called to stand together. In our text today, in many ways, it loops us back uh, to the beginning of Ephesians, and Paul picks up on some themes because it's the last part of this letter that he wrote, and as is often the case, there's sort of a summary statement here, and that's in large part what this is, drawing back some other themes that have been uh, articulated and explained earlier in the text and so let me just read verse 10 to 12 and then i want to reflect on some of the texts that are earlier in ephesians that have some similar language so paul says in ephesians six ten, he says finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul uses this incredible language that just lifts our eyes to see beyond our human reality and the physical world that we see. And he says, there is a spiritual reality that you need to see, folks, that is every bit as real as the physical things that you can touch and hold on to and grab hold of. And if you go back to the beginnings of Ephesians, right in Ephesians chapter 1, you see where Paul is already doing that right at the beginning of this letter. And he's lifting their eyes to see this reality over and over again. And he's talking about this beautiful mystery of the church and the blessings of God available to us for the sake of others. Let me just touch on a few verses. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul begins right at the beginning of this letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Already he's pointing to the heavenlies and he's saying, there is a spiritual reality to your faith and who God is. And then he continues in chapter 1, 2, and 3 to talk about what God has done in Christ. And if you remember way back many, many weeks ago, we, we started out talking about identity and power. The identity that we have in Jesus that our story fits in and is understood in the context of God's greater story in the spiritual realms and the power that is available to us as well as it says how the very same spirit that raised jesus christ from the dead lives within you so power and identity are articulated and paul is expressing this beautiful mystery of the church and the wonder of god's story a little bit further in chapter 1 in verse 20 and 23 where paul's talking about the power that is found in christ he says this how god raised christ from the dead And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Then Paul goes on in those first chapters and he talks about the mystery of the church and Jews and Gentiles and insiders and outsiders and those who are near and those who are far and he says and this is the incredible mystery of God that God had in mind right from the very beginning that Jews and Gentiles would be together and that you together would be the church standing together as one built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit so Paul is teaching this incredible theology of who God is and what the story of God is and this invitation into this story through the mystery and the beauty of the church of being together in one and in chapter 3 verse 10 he he speaks this way about the church he says his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that God's wisdom in all of its rich varieties, that God's beauty in all of its rich expression, as seen in the giftedness of people and the personalities of people and how the Spirit of God comes through people in the church is going to be expressed in that way. It's, It's an incredible picture that Paul is painting throughout this series of the beauty and the wonder of the church and the spiritual realms, the heavenlies. You know, we... We continually need our eyes lifted, don't we? I do. We so often just have our eyes down and we just see the circumstances of our lives and we see the things that are only right in front of us. And I just love these texts that just continually lift our eyes to see the glory of God and to see that there is so much more than what we are experiencing right now. That there is so much more than what we see right in front of us. That God has so much more in store for us. If we could just see it and Paul is Continually lifting our eyes to see the beauty and the mystery of the church and the heavenly realms throughout this entire incredible letter. And so, then, as we've talked about from chapter one to three, we have this story of God. And then, as we go into four and following, it's now how do we live in response? Live a life worthy of this calling. Live a life worthy of this mystery of the church. Live into this church is what Paul's saying. Be the church. Live this mystery. Live this gospel. Embrace it. Use your gifts. Celebrate the diversity that you have and the giftedness that you have and do it in unity. Do it together as one. Don't try to all be the same. Acknowledge your differences. Embrace them and live into it together as the church. And then in the last couple of weeks, we've been going through some specific texts where Paul is kind of laying out how to live out some of this gospel in different, really practical relationships. And things like uh, a section that is often referred to as the house codes. How do you live in these places where relationships have a power imbalance? And so he's articulating husbands and wives. Here's how you actually live together in this picture. This is what submission looks like. This is what sacrifice for one another looks like. And then he talks about parents and children, and he says, parents, Here's how you need to live with your children. Children, here's how you need to live this out with your parents. And then he talks to slaves and slave owners. And he says, in the reality of what you're facing, here's how you live out the gospel. If you're a Christian slave owner, live like this. If you're a slave in that situation, live like this. And so Paul gets really practical in terms of how to live these things out. And the privilege of the gospel and the wonder of the gospel. And then now we come to chapter 6 where he's summarizing this, and he says, now I want to call you to stand. I want to call you to stand together. Because you know what? There's a very real enemy who wants to destroy and undermine not only your life, but the church. And he says you need to stand together differently. You need to live differently. Not just in your individual lives. You need to live differently as the church and so he's summarizing and recapturing so many of these things, and he's, he's rousing them to action, and he's calling them. It's like a clinching argument to kind of motivate his audience now in the final chapter here. Think of it like a general calling an army and preparing them for battle, preparing them for war, and he's saying, prepare, be ready, it's real. And then he has these imperatives in chapter 6, verse 10 and following, and he says, be strong, be strong in the Lord. It's not on your own strength. You can be strong because of the strength of God Himself. You can be strong because of what Jesus has done. You can be strong because you have the Spirit of God within you. The imperative of be strong. Then he has the imperative of put on. He says, put on this armor. If you remember a few chapters ago, we, we talked about putting on and putting off this new life. So now he's using the similar metaphor and the similar imperative, and he's saying, put this on daily. It's a daily putting on. Live this out. comes in the small things and the daily decisions and the, the things that you do and how you treat each other and how you live your life, how you engage in the Word, how you have a view towards God. It has so many different ways, but to put on the full armor of God. And then this other imperative, he says, and then I want you to stand. He says, I want you to Stand. Four times in these first verses of 10 to 14, he says this word, stand. He says, I want you to stand in the armor of God. I want you to stand in this truth of what it means to live a Christian life. I want you to stand against the evil forces that are very real and want to undermine your life and the life of the church. I want you to recognize it for what it is. Don't live fearful of it, but recognize it for what it is and stand. You know, it's it's a picture of not actually running out and doing things. It's just a picture of standing firm. What an interesting imagery. And again, sorry for these stories that come to my mind when I read these texts. And the one thing I love about telling my stories is that I forget that I told them, and hopefully you forget too, so I can repeat them lots of times. Um, I, when I, again, when I read this text, the image I have is I go back to a kid on the farm and my dad in the barn with a big steer And I'm supposed to stand there and make sure that the steer doesn't go past me. This thing's huge. And I'm standing there behind a 4 by 8 sheet of quarter inch plywood. Quarter inch. That's it. I can barely see over the top of it. And there's a steer standing there. And dad is yelling at me, don't let him get past you. Stand there. Okay. (laughs) And all of a sudden, all I see is two big hooves coming up in the air. And it comes thundering down on this sheet of plywood and splinters it like in a hundred directions. I was long gone. It's like Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. The thing just stood there while I took off and it just suspended while the thing just shattered it. I remember my dad, you know, when there'd be like a whole herd of cattle and they're running out of uh, a certain gate and he would just stand there and they would eventually stop. And I think, how do you do that? But that's the picture that I have when I see this text. It's just Stand don't move just be courageous be present and stand so often in scripture there's these stories where the people of Israel are called to just stand they're called to take a stand they're called to trust god it's like you just need to trust that god is going to do something for you god is going to show up god is going to change the circumstances god is going to make a difference because it is God who does this. It is God who has the victory. It is God who wins the war. And we're just called to be faithful and to stand. Philippians one twenty seven. Paul in another text says a similar kind of phrase and language where he says this, again, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. And he talks about when I come to see you again, I, I want to see you as a church standing together with one spirit and one purpose. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Again, this similar language that Paul uses, I want you to stand together as the church. And so often we, we have that imagery of standing, and, and we just think of standing alone. Just like me behind a little piece of plywood. Timid, terrified. But rather, this is a picture of the church standing together. Not standing alone, not being Mr. Superhuman tough guy who can do it all yourself, but standing together, allowing other people in, recognizing that we do this together. So let's read this imagery, this beautiful imagery in verse 14 um, and following. First of all, let me go back, verse 13. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, Paul could have just said in this text, You know, put on truth, righteousness, readiness, peace, and faith. Take hold of salvation and the gospel. Could have just said that. Would have been a good word. But Paul uses this metaphor of armor and this metaphor, this beautiful pictures that he has of of what these look like and how we can think about them in a a different way. And so you, you, you belt on truth onto your life. And every day you put on a belt like that. think of a construction belt that you kind of put on and it's got all the tools hanging off it. And it's like, put that belt of truth on every day. Live in truth. Hold on to truth. Know this Jesus who is truth. And every day put on this breastplate of righteousness to understand that you have been made right with the living God because of what Jesus has done, not anything that you have done. And so just own it. Claim it. Grab hold of it. Live into it. Is what he's saying every day. And if you go back to the earlier chapters in Ephesians, as we was talking about the whole time, here's what Jesus has done, here is the righteousness that is found in Christ. Put that on every single day. And he says, You got shoes that are fitted for the readiness of the gospel of peace, and that we are to be peacemakers, this ministry of reconciliation, ready to go and to be. Take the initiative and to go wherever peace is needed to be brought in and just to be God's agents and see God work. Hold up the shield of faith so that it puts out the darts, the fiery darts of the enemy and, and, and hold on to that faith every day when it feels hard and challenging and difficult to do so. But to stand, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and this imagery that is captured, and it draws back from Isaiah 59, has some similar imagery that I think Paul is, is pulling on. This call to stand and to put these on. And then he comes in verse 18 in this beautiful word about prayer, and he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, the praying in the Spirit that he's talking about here is not about praying in tongues, which he affirms in other places. But here he's talking about a different kind of prayer. It's about a well-armed soldier living a life of prayer as our lives are to be one large prayer to God. Tongues may be part of that, but he's saying have a, a pervasive life of prayer. Your life should be a large, one large prayer to God. A well-armed soldier is continually praying in the Spirit, embracing the Spirit, living in the power of the Spirit. Prayer is not the seventh piece of armor It's really the key to unlocking and putting on all the other pieces of armor that he's listing here. It's this key to gospel living. And he's saying not just simple self-centered prayers that are about you, but about kingdom prayers of God's rule and authority and knowing this story of God and the expanse of His kingdom. Prayers that declare what God has done in the heavenly realms, that lift our eyes from ourselves to see God's kingdom. So he's calling us to pray, pray differently and pray continuously. And then he says also in this text to be alert. Be alert to the enemy's schemes. And again, so often we go to one of two extremes. We either ignore the reality of Satan, ignore the reality of the devil and his schemes against our lives and against the church, or we go to the other side and become obsessed with it and fixate too much on it and see the devil everywhere. And he's saying, no, 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 have an accurate view, be alert, be alert aware of the reality of the enemy's schemes. You don't need to live in fear of that because he is a defeated enemy. Go back to Ephesians 1. All things are under the authority of Christ. All things. So this enemy is subject to Jesus' power and authority. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9 Peter says it this way, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. So here in this context, it's the context of suffering. So Peter is saying it's a warning to those in weakness and to know that there are others around the world who are suffering in a similar way. And so it's this Same message of you are not alone in this. You think you're alone, but you are not alone in this. Others are suffering too. And so stand firm, knowing that you are not alone. But it's this warning to those in their weakness who are tired, maybe at the end of a long work season. And we get that way when our physically are depleted and we are vulnerable. When we need to pay particular attention and to be alert. And it's when we need community. We need others to come alongside us and to stand with us when we can't really stand anymore. You know, in the animal kingdom, predators, as you know, will often attack the young, the sick, or the injured, and they choose the victims who are weak and vulnerable. And there's this image of the muskox that I think I have here. Uh, Interesting way that they defend, and I love this picture, and it's an image for me of this text of standing together. But I heard of muskox when they have a predator around as they circle around and they all face outward and their young ones are inside the circle. And it's like nobody's touching these little ones. I mean, that's kind of a fierce kind of horn and head. I don't know how you would get through that outer circle. But to me, it's this picture of the church that Paul is calling the people of Ephesus to, calling the church of Forest Grove to, is, is to stand together, know that you are not alone. And again, Satan's greatest ploy is to make us think that we are alone. But you're not. We're called to stand together and to be the church. And so, at those times when we feel alone or persecuted or isolate ourselves, or we make choices that cut ourselves off from community, it's at those times where we need to recognize that we stand with others. And maybe we need to do that and, and recognize that. that When we stand, we we don't do it alone, but we do it in community. And so a question for us, I think, is, is why or how are we going to actually do that? How are we going to stand in community so that we actually don't stand alone? First and foremost, Jesus stands with you. The Spirit of God is within you. And then you have a community of believers all around you as well. So that was... Thinking about this text in these last days, I was thinking, how practically do we do this? How practically do we put on the armor of God? What does that look like on a daily basis? It, it seems very philosophical. How do you, what, what do you do in order to do that? And, and a few things came to my mind as I was reflecting on the, the letter to the Ephesians. And I thought of three things. I thought, first of all, I think how we put on the armor is to know the story of God. So much of Ephesians was articulating this incredible story of God of the heavenly realms. And so we are called to stand by knowing the story of God. knowing that there, Know that there is more than the physical reality that you just see around you. Know that there is more than just the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. Know that there is the spiritual realms, that there is the heavenlies, that there is this reality around you and that you do not fight against flesh and blood, but the battle is in the heavenlies. And so I think as we know the story of God and the sweep of that story, it is the daily choosing to stand. That's part of it. I think secondly, the other thing that we do is we live into this gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, we embrace it. We put it on. We embrace the righteousness that we have in Jesus. We embrace and receive and celebrate the salvation that we have. We hold up the shield of faith. And we live into that faith. So every day we, we live into this gospel of Jesus. So know the story of God. Live into the gospel of Jesus. That's how we stand And then thirdly, we are called to be people of prayer. That daily, continually, just that constant communication with God of just relating to the Heavenly Father and just articulating our struggles, our challenges, where we need His power, His rule, His reign to come in, that that would just be part of our our everyday and that we would just pray. So as we know the story of God, as we live into the gospel of Jesus and as we become people of increasing prayer, We stand in the armor of God every day. What I want to have us do today is I want to just have us pray for one another. And here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'll explain it really quickly and then I'll walk us through it. I'm going to ask if you would like prayer today and if you would like others to stand with you, I'm going to in a minute just ask you to stand up and just move into the aisle and just stand there. All you have to do is stand. That's it. And then I'm going to, in a minute, ask others to just kind of gather around you or stand beside you. If you are maybe not standing beside somebody, maybe you want to just go and stand up against the wall as just sort of an expression of praying for the church. I invite you to do this. I want this to be interactive and I want you to move a bit. And then I'm just going to lead us in a prayer from up front here. That's all we're going to do. So if you're somebody who today would like prayer, I would invite you to stand. Worship team, you can come on up so you can start the movement. But if you'd like to have prayer, I'd like you to just stand and just move over to the aisle and we're going to just have some people gather around you in a minute. Would you stand? Maybe you're going through something right now that is challenging, that is uh, a struggle that you've had for a long time and you want to stand. Maybe it's something to do with Mother's Day and some of the challenge of this day and what it means and you just would like prayer and you would like to stand. Maybe it's because of the loneliness that you feel as uh, maybe a single person, divorced person, a widowed person, and it's a loneliness thing and you don't want to stand alone. Maybe it's that you're in a marriage where it feels lonely and you're not sure of how you're going to work through that piece as well too. So I'm going to invite, I'm going to have the congregation, if all of you would stand right now. And for those who would like prayer, would you just slip out into the aisles? And just say, excuse me, and just go to the aisles and just as a declaration of of wanting others to stand with you and pray. I'm going to just take a minute and I'm just going to have us in silence. Just close our eyes and just reflect on this. Would you just move into the aisles right now if you'd like others to stand around you and just pray. Now what I'd like you to do is if you see people in the aisles, if you, if you would just go stand around them. Make sure that nobody's standing alone. Just move into a place where there's a small crowd of people around whoever is standing. Three, four, five people, maybe more. As I said, maybe, maybe you want to just kind of stand on the sides and you want to move to the walls and just as a declaration of standing, move on the perimeter of the church, of this body of gathered people. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are not called to stand alone. I thank you, Lord, for each person here who has slipped out into the aisles. And for whatever it is that's in their heart, in their lives right now, God, that are just needing others to stand around, and we just stand with you. We don't know the circumstances, we don't know all the details, we don't need to know that, but God does. And you need to know that Jesus Christ stands with you, that God delights over you. And so, Lord, together we, we stand belting the belt of truth around us and around these circumstances. And we, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the God who is truth. We thank you and we declare your truth over the circumstances that are represented here in this room. And Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for the breastplate of righteousness and we stand together with these folks and we just declare this righteousness that they have been made right before the living King because of what You've done. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You fit us with shoes that are ready for the gospel of peace. And God, I pray that into these situations and these individuals' lives that You would bring peace and reconciliation, that You would bring hope you bring renewal. Lord, We together we stand and we hold up the shield of faith with these dear folks. And we pray that you would give us increased faith. Help us to see beyond our circumstances. Help us to see beyond the immediate. Help us to see your kingdom. And so Lord, we stand together declaring that. And just proclaiming that and pointing to that truth of your kingdom and your power. Lord, together we, we stand and we just thank you and we declare this helmet of salvation. And we thank you for the salvation that is ours because of Jesus Christ and what you've done on the cross. And we claim that and we stand together with all those who are needing to be reminded again of the salvation that we have, the identity that we have in you. And we give you thanks, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for this entire gospel story that we continue to understand only in part, but we just praise your name for what you've done in the heavenly. God, help us to see more of your heavenly kingdom. We pray and we stand with those who right now are just crying out for more of the heavenlies and your power, your kingdom power in their lives right now. And we pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And so, Lord, we pray for that. Would you encourage each one of us today as the church, I pray that you would help us to stand with one another and not leave any individuals alone, but that we would do a better job of standing with those who are lonely and with those who are struggling and with those who need others to stand with them, Lord. May we be that kind of church. Thank you for the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of your body. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live into that more and more each day. So we give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us the power and the identity to walk in this. May your glory be in the church. In Jesus' name, amen.